Our scripture reading from the New Testament this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inspired word. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's turn one more time to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. And I want to read to you verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that, which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You know, as we study, we're going to move to verses 5 through 11. Paul is preaching. Paul is talking to us, teaching us about the topic of harmony in the body of Christ. And these verses 5 through 11, they've been debated uh, by scholars They've been debated as to their psychology. They've been debated as to their theology. They've been debated as to their Christology. In fact, I, I wrote a sermon. <laughs> that we learn some lessons sometimes when you go and you turn something in for Presbytery and you're going to preach it. And they tell you, nope, that's not a sermon. That's a theological paper. You know, oh no. But you know what they did for me? They, they kind of taught me that um, as much as I thought it was a sermon, um, they pushed me to be in the context of it. Because I was going to talk about the Christology 
And I had been reading all the books on, on the Christology of the passage. But what this is, it's a hymn. Now, they don't know whether this hymn was written by Paul or somebody else, but this hymn is about Christ and what the church thought about or believed about the doctrine of Christ. Have you ever noticed when we look at the Nicene Creed and when we look at the Apostles' Creed, have you ever noticed which ones or which part is the longest? It's that middle part about Christ. They were really hammering those parts out. And so this is a hymn about Christ. But what the Apostle Paul does here with this hymn is he uses it not to just preach about Christ and, his, and, and what we are to understand about Christ, but he uses it and he, to, to talk about the harmony that's to take place as we face each other in the church. So we look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We're exhorted there to harmony. And then he comes to verse 5 and he says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that, have your, that, that command, have this attitude, it does those two things we talked about when we looked at the word therefore in verse 1. It kind of pushes us backwards and it pushes us forward. Have this attitude in yourself. What attitude? The attitude that he appealed to us to have in verse 1, and he defined for us in verses 2, 3, and 4. And then after that, we are to take this attitude that we learned in 2, 3, and 4, verses 2, 3, and 4, and we're to have it, and we're going to see Jesus expressing it in verses 5 through 11. So we're going to see the way of it. We're going to see the illustration of it. So make this uh, attitude your own. Some commentary, I mean, or some translations could say, make your own the mind of Christ. So the first command is going backwards. We go back to all those words that talk about harmony. Remember all those phrases, uh, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, and being intent on one purpose. I go back in my mind as we've been kind of going through the second or the third Sunday of the month in the afternoon, we've been looking at fellowship and we think about, well, what did the, what did the early church fellowship around? They shared the same mind because they were uh, devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, sharing the same mind. We have to be in church together. We have to think about it. You're reading your Bible 30 miles away from here. I'm reading my Bible so many miles away from you, but we're reading the same Bible. We come and we hear the same Bible read and preach. We have this, we share the same mind. We're to share the same love. Christ has loved you. Christ has loved me. And we share that love with each other. We're to share the same space, the same spirit. We're to be knit together like, like uh, threads in my jacket. And we're to share the same purpose. We are to, as we read this morning, we are to walk before the Lord and be blameless. Now, we said there's only one way we can have this harmony. And we understand when people can't be present, we understand it's really great to have the Zoom, right? It's really great that this camera's on and all that sort of thing. But how can we have this fellowship without intentionally being face-to-face? -face? We have to be here to have the same truth and share the same mind and share the same purpose. We have to be together. And so we harmonize, we come together, and there's two things we talked about very quickly, not just reminding you. We make the apostles' joy, we make Christ's joy complete by being humble. Remember Calvin called selfishness and empty conceit pests that have to be avoided, <laughs> pests that have to be exterminated. Me first. I want the chief seat. I want to take the shot. 
I'm the best player on the team. I get to take the shot, right? Uh, that may not be the best thing for the team. My agenda. I have a king inside of me that needs to be crowned. Well, we need to take that king and we need to take him off and we need to put on humility. And so he tells us to avoid pride and put on humility. He says, in humility of mind, regard one another. Wow, regard one another. You know, we said last week, admire the excellence in others. That's how we put it. Admire the excellence in others. That means I have to kind of take off my pride and I have to look at you and I go, wow, there's some great stuff about you. There's a minister who was talking to a woman. She was wanting to join the church and she's talking to the minister and, and she's telling him how much she loves his sermons and, and he's, he's you know, listening to her. You go, well, which one of my sermons uh, was I preaching when you became a Christian? He said, oh, I'm not going to mark my sermon by, the ser- by, by my uh, salvation by one of your sermons. I'm going to mark my salvation by the fact that I walked outside the door, I walked down the steps, and one of the women in the church shared some love with me. That's when I became a Christian. Sorry, preacher, I like your, your sermons, but I didn't become a, a Christian when you were preaching, but when this woman shared love with me. So we make this joy of the apostles complete, or Christ complete, when we're humble and when we're helpful. Verse 4, he says, Do not uh, merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. So harmony is results from humility and helpfulness. Now, we, let's move forward. We move forward. We move into the way of harmony. We move towards what it looks like in the life of Jesus Christ. And so as we proceed forward, I'm going to give you three thoughts. The first one is this, Jesus or Christ high position then he descends into a low position and then he's back up to an exalted position there are three points and then we're going to make some applications first christ's high position his deity verse six who although he existed in the form of god now the part the participle there is a present participle it says existed but it really can be translated existing existing originally and continually in the form of God. Now we read in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. Now that's was means that he never wasn't. He always has been. He always will be. So we see Jesus, Christ Jesus in his high position. He's always existing. Now look at verse 6 again. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he's divine And he's equal with God. Well, it's sort of the same thing. But we're getting a little bit more texture about who we're talking about. Jesus Christ, originally existing, always existing in the form of God, and he is equal with God. He's of the same substance with the Father. He has the same essence as the Father. He's equal to the Father with glory in his glory and in his power. So we see immediately we have this face-to-face relationship. I'm not leaving the Holy Spirit out on purpose, but we're just talking about the Father and the Son right now. The Father and Son are in this, there's this plurality in the Godhead, and the Father and the Son are facing each other. And also, and I, sometimes I wonder whether I ought to say humility here. <laughs> I mean, in his divine person, it's like I see, I don't know if I can say this right, but it says he did not regard Equality with God, a thing to be grasped. So he's divine in heaven. He's equal with God in heaven. 
He has the same power, the same glory. He's omnipotent, right? Omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He has all those omnis. He is, when it comes to the Father, He's eternal. When it comes to the Father, He's the one through whom the Father creates all things. When it, things. When it comes to the law, He's the lawgiver. All of these things in heaven belong to, to, to Him. They belong to Him. They never are divested from Him. He, in, in, he enjoys all of them, but He's like a CEO. I want you to listen to this. Have you ever thought about, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this illustration before, the CEO's at the top of the building. He, he owns the building. He, it's his office. He has a suit. He has a tie. He's up there. He can order out anytime he wants to. It brings, all the food comes up to him. He owns everything. He owns every, he pays for every single person in the building. But at 1045, he goes downstairs at the bottom and he goes to the cafeteria and he starts making salads and he starts serving sandwiches and he's down there with all those people. Those people kind of like this guy. And they kind of like him because, you know, he's not just grasping all the time, thinking about his tie. He's not all the time thinking about his suit, thinking about how much money he has and how he pays everybody. He's just down there being with those folks, and those folks kind of like it. Well, Jesus, in the, in, as, as he is in heaven, all that stuff is his. The tie is his. The coat is his. The, the office is his. He owns it all. But he's not afraid. He's not worried about losing any of it when he comes and he puts on this flesh. All these things are His, and yet the Father has a plan, and the Father loves sinners, and He says, I'm going to give you a people, and I want you to go down to the earth, I want you to put on flesh, and I want you to go down to the earth, and I want you to save these people. And He does it because He loves His Father, and He does it because He loves us. And so Jesus, He begins this descent. Now we see Him in this lowly position. He becomes a man. Verse 7, it says, Being made in the likeness of men. Verse 8 says, Being found in appearance as a man. John 1.14 says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, if you go to the book of Matthew, you can find Jesus' birth. If you go to the book of Mark, you don't find Jesus' birth. If you go to the book of Luke, you'll find uh, stories about Jesus' birth. But if you come to John, the only verse you get is John 1.14 when it comes to Christmas. That's the only verse you can preach. (laughs) The Word became flesh. He, he came into this earth. There's the Christmas story in John, the book of John. He assumes a human nature. And so when you see Jesus, as you read the Scriptures, you're going to see Him. He appears just like any other person. He has a family. He has a childhood. He ate. He drank. He got tired. He slept. He wrote with His finger in the dirt. He cried. He laughed. But most people, what they do is they fail to see that there's a divine person inside that skin. They don't see the equality with God. They don't see the two natures in the one person. They just see a man. He became a bondservant, we see. In verse 7, he emptied himself. He, he made himself nothing. What does it mean that he emptied himself? Well, I told you already that he doesn't decrease. When he's on the earth, he doesn't decrease. In fact, There's times when the glory that's on the inside of him comes out of his pores on the Mount of Transfiguration. The glory just starts coming out. So we see that he doesn't lose anything, but in coming in this flesh, that glory is veiled in his flesh. And so he doesn't grasp those things. 
He's, got, he's not upset about putting the apron on and serving the salads. He's not upset about doing these things. All these things are his. He's not going to lose anything, but he loves to glorify the Father, and he loves to do what is good for us. So he's preoccupied with the Father's will, and he's preoccupied with, what, with our own interest. Isn't that what we said there? It says, do nothing from selfishness and empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't just look out after your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. There is Jesus right there. He's not hung up about the tie and the suit and his money. He's ready to give himself up and pour himself out for what the Father loves and what he loves. Also, we see that he became obedient to the point of death. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we see a person, we see Jesus, a person who's equal with God, who's divine, who puts on this humanity. He doesn't lose anything in doing this. He's humble. In this human nature, he goes really low in order to obey God, become a bondservant for us. The Creator is subjecting himself to die on a cross. And that's a mystery. Here's a person who's not preoccupied with himself. Here's a person who's not selfish and not full of empty conceit. Here's a person who's harmonizing with the Father's will and harmonizing with our great need, and he comes and he dies on a cross. Why could he do this? Because he's absolutely sin-free. He could do that for us. He's sin-free. And he comes and he does it of his own free will. Last night we were talking in my own family time. We did our family time and we read, you know, Jesus didn't. He, he had to willingly lay his life down because nobody could take it from him. He did not deserve to die. He didn't do anything to, to die for. Sin, right? What is the, the wages of sin is death. He never sinned. He spoke in the garden and 600 men fell down. <laughs> he had to lay his life down. He willingly did it. Every single animal that back in those days, if you and I were Old Testament saints, we would put our head on a lamb. We would confess our sin on that lamb and that lamb would have to be drugged to death. This lamb willingly goes and dies for us, harmonizing with the Father humbling himself to obey the Father, humbling himself to help us. This is some low stuff. Think about how low it is. He comes from heaven to earth, that's low. He goes to the cross, that's lower. And then the lowest time came when the Father turned his back on his Son for three hours. Now, I don't know, I don't know a, a good illustration sometimes to think about that, but I, I just, you know, sometimes you think about Sometimes you'll meet a couple and they'll say to you that they've never had an issue between each other. And then all of a sudden they have one. It's the worst thing in the world, isn't it? You want to fix it. Jesus never, 33 and a half years, never had a time in his human nature where he knew anything but a smile from the Father. Nothing but a smile. And now his back's turned. That's the lowest. The glorious one, the rich one, became poor for us. The one who was in the high position took a lowly position to save us so that by faith we might become rich, so that we might know the righteousness of God imputed to us. 
But now we move to verses 9 through 11. And now we're going to see the principle that God has himself laid down. And this is what Mr. Seben read in Luke 18. He who humbles himself shall be exalted. Jesus humbled himself. and He's going to be exalted. His exalted position consists of a reward. Listen to his reward. For this reason, verse 9, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. This is extreme difference, right? This is being at the bottom of the ocean and now we're resurrected like Jonah. You know, I like that picture. Jonah's back on the, you know, back on the land of obedience, right? Well, Jesus is resurrected He moves from being a worm on the cross to being a butterfly. He goes from being abandoned to being uh, given this name. This name is bestowed on him for payment. His name is given to him as a payment for his obedience. What is his name? Jesus Christ is Lord. And not only do we see this reward of a name, but we see his lordship. We see in verses 10 and 11, you hear these words, kneeling and bowing and kneeling and bowing and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Someone right now rules and reigns at the right hand of God, and it's Jesus Christ. You can't see him tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about this desire we have to have a visible Saul. (laughs) We want a visible Saul, the man who's brawn and bones and blood and muscles, but what we have to trust in if we can't see right now. But Jesus Christ, he's ruling and reigning in heaven right now. He is ascended there, and when Jesus comes again on the day of of consummation, everyone will kneel. Everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And when Jesus comes again, it won't be a day of opportunity. Well, no, no more opportunity to repent and believe. It will be a day of accounting. It will be a day when the door of heaven is shut and every intelligent being will confess that Jesus is Lord, some by compulsion. But I pray for you by absolute just submission and love. Third, his exalted position consists in his Father's glory. You know, this is one of the things about the Son of God in heaven, the Son of God on earth, and the Son of God in His exalted position. You know what He's always about? What are, what are, if you ask a son what he's always about, if you had asked me, I, I would still say, my, you know my mom, you know what she'll say to me every now and then? She'll say, your dad would really be proud of you. Isn't that what the what guys are about? Isn't that what sons are about? They want to make dad happy. Well, Jesus He's the Son of God. That's part of being a son. He wants to glorify the Son. One of the things about a father is he always wants to make his his son joyful and glorify his son. That's what the father does on the cross. He says, that's glory right there. And so here is the mind of Christ. It's all about glorifying the Father. He he humbles himself. He harmonizes with the Father's will. This is the, the Lord's Father's will. I'll do it. I'll save these people you want me to save because I love you and I love them. He doesn't hold on to his stuff, but he gives himself up and pours himself out for us. Well, now let's make an application. If you and I are to have the mind of Christ, we must first think rightly about Christ Jesus himself. We need to sing this song. We need to sing this little coming from a high place to a low place to being exalted. We need to sing that song in our own hearts. 
We need to see that Jesus existed always and continuously. He's equal with the Father, and yet he came and gave himself up on a cross for us. He demonstrated all throughout his life that he is God in human flesh. He gave sight to the blind. He raised people who were dead. He gave people the forgiveness of their sins so that they might be brought close to God. And the same thing is true for us today. Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins. And we must think rightly about that. If you want to stand with joy when Jesus comes again, you need to be already submitting and bowing to Jesus Christ as Lord. You need to say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God in heaven. I need to sing this song. Well, somebody could say, well, I I can't sing this song. I'm struggling to sing this song. Well, then ask God to help you sing the song. Ask God to give you His Holy Spirit so that you can sing this song, so that you can acknowledge Jesus as Lord, so that you can be ready when Jesus comes again. Think rightly about Jesus. Now, every one of us who are thinking rightly about Jesus, now we're to have a mind like Him. I must think like Him. I have to think rightly about Him. I need to think like Him. And here is the title of the sermon. The way up is down. Isn't that weird? The way up is down. I didn't make this stuff up now. This is what it says. God exalts those who are humble, and God humbles those who exalt themselves. The way up is down. Do you want to be first in God's eyes? Do you want to be exalted like Jesus? Do you want to be in the pole position in the racing when the racing car talk? I used to sit there and watch uh, races with my father-in-law. And he would tell me what was going on. Oh, he's loose. He's too tight. He's, he's in the pole position. I, I mean, I didn't know anything. Well, I want, do you want to be in, the, in the, top, the front or you want to run in the back? Well, we're told the first, Jesus says, will be last and the last will be first. So here's the first being last. All kings, all people who say crown me are last in God's eyes. Everybody who says, I've got to have my way, you're last in God's eyes. Everybody who says, I've got to have the final word, you're last in God's eyes. But if you humble yourself, you'll be first in God's eyes. Humble yourselves, you'll be first in God's eyes. So here's how you do it. You see where you are. You see that you're in a high position. You see that you have a tie on. You see you have your jacket on. You see that you own many things. You see all your giftedness. You see all your maturity. You see all of the things that you have and what do you do? You don't grasp hold of them. What you do is you figure out a way to help others. You humble yourself and you go and you help others. You think about this cycle. You're in a high position and you go and you serve. You follow this pattern. You understand the first will be last and the last will be first. And what happens to you is this. Everybody in this room could probably say, you know what? You went and you served, and you know what you did? You got a plaque. (laughs) You got a plaque. Hey, man, he did something really great. He humbled himself, and he served, and we gave him a plaque. The other day, I think I sent Ben a a text. And so Ben, he's, he's been playing, what, six concerts, and he's so good. And a bunch of you guys went to go see him. And so I ha- I've been getting a lot of feedback from everybody. And, um, and they're saying, this is great. You ought to go watch him play the piano. And you ought to listen to that girl sing. You ought to listen to Christoph play the cello. It's just great. And so I sent him a text. I said, Ben, I'm getting a lot of applause your way. I said, you, uh, teasing him. I said, 
You need to make sure that you humble yourself. <laughs> Don't let it go to your head. You're getting, what do you need to do? What do you need to do when you get the plaque? What do you need to do when you, when you get the uh, raise? What do you need to do? Well, you need to repeat the cycle. Go back and serve some more. Go back and practice. Go back and make people happy. Go back and give yourself up to people. Repeat the cycle. Doesn't, isn't that what Jesus did? The way up is down. Jesus, what does he do? We find him in John 13. He's at the head of the table. And the, and the apostle John tells us that all authority and all power is in his hands. And what does he do? He's at the head of the table. Uh-oh, he's in a dangerous place. He's first. How can he be last? Well, you know what he does. All of you know what he does. He girds himself up. He gets a basin of water out, and he starts washing those guys' feet. And after he washes their feet, where does he go? Does he stay down, or does he go back to the head of the table? Okay, he goes back to the head of the table. He's exalted. He went down. He went back up. Now what's he going to do? He's in that high place again. He's in that, he's in that dangerous place again. So what's he going to do? Well, the next day he goes to the cross. He goes down again. He humbles himself again. He humbles himself, and God exalts him. How does he exalt him? He raises him up in the resurrection. And so now he walks around for 40 days and he talks to his disciples. He ascends into the heavens and he sits down and he rules and reigns. He's in a dangerous place again, right? But what does he do while he's there? I just love this. <laughs> now I know he's ruling and reigning, but folks, listen, you know what he's doing for you in his human nature? He's on his knees and he's praying every second for you so that you might make it through this difficult world that we're in. You know, this, this is just a side testimony, man. We're reading this book, this book by Calvin, and I mean to tell you, he really tears you right in two because there's so much pain and there's so much joy. You need to live this life and you understand it's difficult. You need to live this life always on duty, always ready to praise God, always ready to glorify God. Both of them at the same time. The way up is down. If you find yourself in a, diff, in, a, in a high position today, if you want to be first, you're going to have to be last. And when you're last and people recognize you and you get lifted up again, you have to repeat the cycle. You have to go back down again. You have to go do some more service. So this, stick with the cycle. Stick with the cycle. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Harmonize with the will of God and we'll find that we have much harmony and much peace at Good Shepherd OPC. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship today with your people. Thank you for each person who's here. Thank you for anyone who might be on Zoom with us today. And Father, we pray that we might follow this pattern set by Jesus. Lord, when we find ourselves able and gifted, Lord, help us to use our gifts not to be exalting ourselves over others, but to humble ourselves and serve others. Help us to know the will of God and do it and be blessed. Father, thank you for this time to worship. Thank you for the opportunity to be together. Help us sing our way out of here. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.